This is your host, Nick Riley, and you're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast. Together, we're going to take a ride inside the world of personal finance. I'm going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. In this episode, I'm going to address some, some of the risk associated with crypto uh, and other digital assets, as well as hopefully f- provide some ways to reduce or mitigate that risk and, and figure out how to protect yourself. And uh, as of this recording on May 11th of 2022, uh, we've experienced uh, a serious collapse in the Terra ecosystem, which is one of the many ecosystems inside the digital asset space. And it's it's something that it's an event that I believe will be talked about for many years to come, uh, as it's it's been a big vocal focal point for the direction of crypto. So this episode is pretty timely. I did put a lot of this together, uh, kind of last minute, to be honest. Uh, so hopefully I, I can piece it together in a, in a valuable way. But I think I wanted to get something out there. Uh, just to help people understand the risk associated with crypto and other digital assets. So uh, this episode is really going to touch on a high level some of the general risk within crypto. Then I'm going to ease into some of the uh, crypto events from the past, along with the most recent Terra collapse uh, that we can learn from. And hopefully those stories will uh, be will help you understand what risks are associated and what what can potentially happen when investing in crypto. And then I'm going to finish the episode uh, off with how you could protect yourself. And uh, I'll even provide a little bit of my own outlook on the digital asset space. So let's get started. Some of the general risks within the crypto and digital asset space one is ob- pretty obvious uh, is is just high volatility. So where certain stocks, you're, you're used to seeing the stock market go up and down, uh, maybe one upwards of 2%. You know, lately, we've seen some 3% movement. But within the crypto space, you are you can easily see uh, 10 to 20% swings at any given point in time. So that high volatility brings on a lot of risk uh, that a lot of people cannot stomach. And there's also a huge lack of education in the space. And, you know, people, I find that many people don't understand what they are buying. Uh, They haven't read the white papers. They don't understand the utility uh, behind the protocol or how it generates income or generates any sort of revenue. And this is obviously a concern and a risk for general crypto investors because, uh, as soon as there is a downturn in the market, you get a lot of people that uh, panic because they don't understand what's going on and they get out, uh, which creates a domino effect. And you know, people investing in many projects today uh, because of you know, popular terms like blockchain and crypto. So they're just investing in, in things without understanding uh, what, they act- what those protocols or what those tokens actually do. And of course, this sounds very familiar to the dot-com bubble, uh, where people were buying companies simply because they had a dot-com attached to their name. And we're seeing that a lot today, where people are just investing in a company because they are related to the blockchain or related to crypto, related to digital assets, uh, related to NFTs, uh, and all of that. 
Another general risk is through the impermanent loss from liquidity pools. Uh, this is a very complex uh, subject, so I won't get into details on that, but a lot of people have generated passive income from liquidity pool uh, funding within the decentralized finance space, but impermanent loss uh, creates a, a, a really a, a loss to principal. So if you deposit 10000 and you're generating 20 to $30 a day in income, but your principal drops to 5000 or less, uh, you're net negative on that investment. So that principal uh, is at risk when you do provide liquidity to a pool. And there's ways to mitigate some of that. There's also DPEG risk, which is what we witnessed through the most recent Terra collapse this week uh, with UST, which is their their algorithmic based stablecoin being depegged from the US dollar and getting as low as as I believe 65 cents to the dollar. Uh, so that depegging of something that is sub, that is meant to be a stable asset uh, provides a lot of risk. And of course, there are different types of stable coins that I'm not going to get into in this episode. Uh, there's also smart contract failure. Uh, so where you know, smart contract I defined in a, in a previous episode for the One Day Advice podcast, but smart contract acts much like a vending machine. Uh, you put in a dollar, you select Coke, and you get a Coke in return. Well, a smart contract failure would be where you press the button for Coke and you get a Pepsi. And that is not, you know, that's irreversible. You can't just ask the vending machine to return your Pepsi and give you the Coke back. So there there are failures to some smart contracts, and that is something that uh, is irreversible as of right now with the current state of the technology. And that kind of ties into also the protocol risk. So the risk of being hacked, uh, whether you are a protocol uh, like Terra's ecosystem uh, or Anchor Protocol, and you know, keep in mind, even custodians can get hacked. So Custodians like Coinbase and Gemini, Kraken, uh, those are all custodians where you don't necessarily own your own keys. Uh, so there's a phrase called not your keys, not your coin. Uh, so if you don't own your private key and you're just depositing money into a custodian and they are really holding that private key for you, uh, there is a risk that that you lose control over over those tokens and over those digital assets, uh, so that that can be involved through uh, you know a hack or potential withdrawals being halted from the custodian to prevent any running of the bank situation uh, to maintain the health of that custodian. Also, there's a there's a risk in bridging assets between one ecosystem to another, and in order to bridge assets. Uh, you, there has to be liquidity on both ends and there are risks associated to times when you don't have enough liquidity. So you're trying to move $10,000 of, of die to, uh, from one ecosystem to another, but there's only 2000 die, uh, in with it worth of liquidity on the other end. Uh, you would get held up along that bridge until there's enough uh, liquidity to push your transfer through. And one common mistake that people make is they don't realize that each ecosystem runs on its own blockchain. 
So ERC-20 is the network that Ethereum runs off of. And there are many coins that support uh, the ERC-20 network. But if you're trying to move, say, Terra, uh, which is their native token is Luna, if you're trying to move that token from, say, Gemini to the Terra ecosystem, you can't do that because Gemini only supports the ERC-20 version of that coin. It doesn't support the native version of that coin. So uh, Binance has a couple different uh, networks, uh, BEP2, and then they have uh, BSC, which is a Binance smart chain. So they both serve different purposes. You can't send one coin that's not supported by that other uh, blockchain uh, to that address. So and that kind of ties into the other risk that is that occurs when you transfer assets from one wallet to another. Uh, you're transferring a ERC-20 token to a wallet that doesn't support that blockchain uh, can mean your digital asset is or your token that you're trying to transfer can be completely lost and unrecoverable. So that happens all the time. So it's always important to understand uh, what network you're transferring from and what network you're transferring to and whether that wallet is compatible with that asset. And the same thing goes for Bitcoin. So Bitcoin in its pure form uh, can only be transferred to a Bitcoin address. And if it's outside of a Bitcoin address, that Bitcoin has to be wrapped to make it compatible with another blockchain. And I'm probably confusing a lot of you listeners just by going through all this, but these are all important things once you start navigating inside the crypto space to be able to understand because there's the point being is that there are a lot of mistakes that can be made. And another general risk is just high gas fees. So of course, crypto was uh, developed in order to make currencies easily exchangeable, easily transferable, uh, and to reduce the amount of fees attached to that. But in the case of Ethereum, if there is a lot of activity and a lot of transactions on the network, that increases the amount of fees for the transactions. And within the digital asset space, uh, for proof of work systems uh, or ecosystems like Ethereum, uh, it requires gas fees in order to push a transaction through. And that gas fee is provided to the miners uh, through that proof of work model. So, you know, in order to reduce a lot of those high gas fees, you move to a layer two ecosystem uh, like Polygon. And we're seeing a lot of of news around Polygon from uh, most recently Meta, uh, Stripe is also announcing that they are uh, they will have payouts accepted uh, in the form of USDC on Polygon's network. So ecosystems like Polygon allow you to uh, make have much smaller transaction costs and ultimately reduce gas fees to a you know, fraction of a cent. Where Ethereum, depending on the time, especially when we saw the NFT craze. Uh, gas fees were extremely high. Uh, it would cost you know, sometimes hundreds of dollars in order to just push a transaction through. So those are just some of the general risks associated with crypto. Uh, now I want to 
just give you an overview of the three big events in history, including the one that happened this week, that uh, we can learn from. So I'm going to go back in kind of chronological order. The first big uh, turning point or the big event uh, within the crypto space was the Mt. Gox hack. Mt. Gox was a a Tokyo-based cryptocurrency exchange that operated between 2010 and 2014. Uh, It was responsible for more than 70% of Bitcoin transactions at its peak in 2014. Uh, That same year, Mountain Gox was hacked and thousands of Bitcoin uh, were stolen. And the company filed for bankruptcy shortly thereafter. And uh, it continued to be the subject of lawsuits and much speculation for, for many years. And the result from all this was that only about 200,000 Bitcoin were ever recovered. Uh, The rest were lost or removed from the network. And those lost reports range from 650,000 to 850,000 Bitcoin. So I'll let you do the math. You know, 850,000 Bitcoin uh, times the current price today of $30,000. That's a lot of money that that was lost. The second major crypto event to learn from is the the DAO hack uh, on Ethereum. So a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization, uh, and this specific one was launched in 2016 on the Ethereum blockchain uh, after raising over 150 million in U.S. dollars uh, worth of Ethereum. Through a token sale, the DAO was hacked due to vulnerabilities in its code base. The Ethereum blockchain was eventually hard forked to restore the stolen funds, but not all parties agreed with this this, this decision. Uh, So this resulted in the network splitting into two distinct blockchains, uh, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. So most of when, whenever you hear at the dinner table or uh, you know social gathering, people talking about Ethereum, they're typically talking about just Ethereum, not Ethereum Classic. And then the third crypto event uh, that we can all learn from, uh, and I apologize in advance for maybe this coming out uh, a little bit confusing because I am currently still digging into a lot of it. Uh, there are a lot of great resources on Twitter. Uh, as well as online that that explain what is going on. Uh, but as this only happened a couple days ago, uh, it's still very fresh. So ultimately, Terra's ecosystem has two coins. Uh, so one is a stable coin that's meant to be pegged to the US dollar at a one-to-one ratio. Uh, their stable coin is algorithmic based uh, meaning its its value is maintained through a complex combination of smart smart contracts, along with uh, arbitrage opportunity for traders, and many other factors. So, Terra's ecosystem relies on its native token, which is Luna, to absorb a lot of the volatility in order to maintain the value of their stablecoin UST. And this is done through making one UST always redeemable for $1 worth of Luna. So if UST is trading for 99 cents, arbitragers can buy it and redeem it for $1 worth of Luna. And that can also happen on the flip side as well. 
So stable coins require utility to be successful and UST gets its utility from Anchor Protocol where investors can deposit UST and receive high interest rates. Uh, historically, they've been you know, roughly around 19.5%. And you know, that is uh, a APY figure. So that's, that's uh, meant to be a stable coin invested or deposited on Anchor Protocol through their earned platform. And then uh, you receive 19.5% interest on that. Uh, so this is meant to provide enough liquidity for the whole ecosystem to sustain itself. And ultimately, this high percentage interest is meant to incentivize people to hold on to UST uh, without withdrawing or converting it into other assets. So uh, ideally, people maintain their positions in UST, keep it deposited, uh, which provides more liquidity to the whole ecosystem and improves on its health. And, and that's no different from any bank. Uh, that's why, you know, larger the bank, the more liquidity they have uh, to be able to withstand any situation where many bank customers are looking to withdraw assets at the same time. Now, there's a lot more to this concept than what I'll cover in this episode, uh, because I believe it, it could complicate things and distract from why this is important and how this happened. But in essence, there are a lot of people who are leveraging their positions. Uh, and there's a term called looping where they were using a volatile asset. In this case, it was Luna, uh, Terra's native token, uh, as collateral, borrowing against it in the form of UST, which is a stable coin, and then converting that same stable coin back into the original deposited currency and repeating the cycle. So by depositing Luna, they were able, you're able to borrow up to really 95%, but safely up to 75% previous to this collapse. Uh, so if you deposit 10,000 in Luna, you can you know, withdraw up to $7,500 worth of UST. Some people were taking that UST and depositing it into Anchor Protocol and getting interest off of that. But many were trying to loop it in the sense that they would convert that UST back into Luna and then deposit that same Luna back into uh, back as collateral, which would then increase the amount that they could borrow again. So by repeating that cycle, they further leverage themselves where on the downside, you know, not only their borrowed asset is losing money, uh, but their 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 uh, principal is also losing money. So it becomes nearly impossible to pay down that loan when uh, it's spiraling out of control on the downside. And there has been a lot of speculation on what would happen in a running of the bank situation, and this recent collapse is uh, what essentially we've been waiting for uh, and waiting to witness. And while it looks like, and this is this is all kind of speculation right now, but uh, a lot of signs point to uh, the possibility that this whole effort was orchestrated by an organization of some kind to exploit a profitable opportunity. And it looks like it was done in order to increase public doubt on UST as an alternative to cash while increasing the dependency of investors on the US dollar. 
And this potentially would you know, help, help pave the way for more acceptance of a central bank digital currency or a CBDC. And a CBDC is a, a digital form of a central bank money that is widely available to the general public. So for example, uh, there has been talks of the U.S. Uh, adopting a digital currency and moving the U.S. dollar onto the blockchain and you know, creating a digital currency around it. Uh, but it's also well known that that a country like China has been very loud about uh, their intentions and their desire to want to be the, the world's dominant reserve digital currency. And they have been doing many things to be able to get to that point. Uh, so really, we, we don't know uh, whether an organization at this stage was trying to simply make a quick buck, uh, profit from, from this opportunity uh, before UST got too big. Because as more liquidity was provided into Terra's ecosystem, it would have been this, this gap would have closed for an opportunity for a large organization large singular organization to be able to uh, facilitate or orchestrate this. So it's definitely, like I said, too early to tell whether it was orchestrated by an organization or a government uh, and what the overall intent was behind it. But ultimately, a lot of people lost money. And as the price of Luna went down, a lot of People were forced into liquidations, myself included. Uh, so that money is lost, and it's just a great reminder to uh, not invest any more than you're willing to lose. And that is the biggest theme in investing in crypto. So this leads me into the next phase of this podcast episode, and you know, mainly I, I want to kind of cover how you can protect yourself against these risks inside the digital asset space. And ultimately it comes down to, you know, invest only what you can afford to lose. Uh, I think that is more and more true, uh, especially after what happened this week, where uh, there is a lot of loss of wealth that is not recoverable uh, through the form of, of forced liquidations uh, on collateral and all that uh, inside these various ecosystems and protocols. And a lesson from that is that you don't want to take on too much leverage either. So please, please don't loop your assets. Don't uh, deposit a, a, a volatile asset and borrow against uh, those that, that asset and buy another volatile asset with that, that will move in the same way that your collateral will, uh, that can lead to significant loss and you know something that you can't really recover from quickly enough because it can happen so fast as we witnessed uh, on Monday. And really take time to educate yourself. Uh, always ask, what is the utility of this? Uh, how does this ecosystem sustain and grow itself? So I think education will be key moving forward. I'm, I will try to ramp up my education around this space uh, because I do believe that that the digital asset space is, uh, is the future. Uh, it just might be a little too soon. And I'll get into that in, in a bit. And you can ensure some of your positions uh, within the digital asset space as well. So uh, Nexus Mutual is one company 
that uh, I had the privilege of speaking with a few of uh, its members and including the CEO, uh, but they are essentially a insurance type company within the digital asset space. And they cover against a lot of the depegging risk that we saw uh, with, with UST. They also cover against protocol or smart contract failures or hacks, uh, as well as custodial risk where you know, a custodian could get hacked or a custodian could uh, you know, halt any withdrawals of your assets. So Nexus Mutual will help cover uh, situations like that. And of course, the insurance comes at a premium. So you pay uh, in the form of another digital asset. Uh, oftentimes, Ethereum, I believe, is what they mostly use uh, in order to pay for the uh, cost of insurance. And then you know, lastly, just be sure to diversify your assets. Don't have too high of a percentage of your assets in any one investment. And within the digital asset space, this could mean too heavy concentration in a singular ecosystem, uh, a singular token, or even a single wallet. Uh, if your wallet gets hacked or you lose your private key, uh, there's no recovering from that. So it's important to have multiple wallets that you disperse uh, your assets across. That way, if anything does happen to any one of them, uh, you still have the others. So it's just a, a, a better way to fully diversify uh, your assets. And so lastly, to wrap up this episode, I'll, I'll share my own outlook towards digital assets. And of course, this is not financial advice, uh, but what we have witnessed this week with the collapse of Terra is something that will be referenced for a long time. And it will be used to spread massive amounts of FUD, uh, which stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, and much of which will be very inaccurate. So I encourage you all to take everything with a grain of salt and always ask yourself what that person or entity has to gain by spreading a certain opinion or outlook. And you know, whether it's you know whether it's more followers, more clicks, or uh, even monetary gain, just be mindful of that. And I firmly believe digital assets are the future. Uh, it's not a matter of if, but when, in my opinion. The technology is in its infancy stage, and it's greatly misunderstood by most people. Events like what happened this week will only further place doubt in people who didn't believe in the first place and will make those who lost a lot of money more hesitant to invest further. So, I've always believed timing is everything, and with the stock market struggling, uh, the inf you know inflation at 40-year highs, the world recovering from a pandemic, supply chain issues that are affecting real-world businesses, uh, geopolitical events uh, like the you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, and so many other factors, uh, the timing for this collapse of Terra's ecosystem. Uh, could not have been any worse, and it's affected many of the other ecosystems within the digital asset space, including Bitcoin as well. Uh, and this will further amplify the current issue. And so it's important to have a 30,000 foot view and realize that the 
impact of this is largely being amplified by all of these other external factors that are also taking place at this time. So it's not necessarily just a failure on Terra's part or a downturn in the, the digital asset space. Uh, everything's suffering right now. So uh, that's something to be mindful of. And there have been many cases in history where an innovative technology was too early, uh, too early to gain acceptance from the masses. And I believe that's kind of what we're experiencing today. And only time will be able to tell how long it takes for blockchain technology and digital currencies to gain widespread adoption. So like the dot-com bubble, where certain companies like Amazon succeeded while many failed, the same will happen within the crypto space. Uh, there will be ecosystems that survive and thrive and others that will die because they don't provide true utility. And so if you're looking to get into this space, I know it might be a hard thing to do at this time, but I do believe uh, if you dollar cost average into this space, it will pay dividends over time for you and be a great wealth accumulator. Uh, but ultimately, we at One Day Advice are here for you. And we can provide education around how to safely invest in this space, uh, to not take on too much risk, and to also assess how much of your portfolio uh, you can put towards this riskier asset. So I encourage you, please reach out to us, hello at onedayadvice.com, and we'll be happy to speak with you and really address your personal situation. So thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent fiduciary and fee-only registered investment advisor. Nick serves as a wealth advisor and educator to his clients. All opinions expressed by Nick and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.